Welcome back, everyone. After a six-month and much-needed break, I'm happy to be here and to bring you another episode of the Honduras Now podcast. Over the last two weeks, Honduras has hit the international press, and not for good reasons. On June 20th, over 46 women were violently killed inside the Tamara prison, just outside of the capital city. The incident was preventable, tragic, and once again, framed as another gang problem. But this is far from true. Yes, gangs are present and are believed to be involved. But for a long time, the Honduran police and military have been very much part, if not a huge factor, in the insecurity and violence inside the Honduran prison system. Today, I will briefly talk about this massacre, among many other related topics. I have invited Farid Sierra, who is probably better known by his Twitter account, All Things Honduras. Farid is a friend, a compañero, and a Honduran that grew up in the United States. Since I began my podcast three years ago, I've heard from so many listeners, including Hondurans that live in many parts of the world. Members of the Honduran diaspora have written me, showing curiosity about what is going on in Honduras for various reasons. They get in touch to share their stories, ask questions, and seek connection to a place they feel close to but are far away from. Inviting Farid to discuss all things Honduras with me is a way to offer one perspective of how a Honduran that has since returned to live in Honduras sees and understands a country he once had to leave. Welcome to the Honduras Now podcast. I'm your host, Karen Spring. In each episode, I will be sharing human rights stories from Honduras and connecting them to global issues and North American policy. Thank you so much for listening. So, Farid, uh, welcome to the podcast. It's like so awesome to have you here uh, with me. We've been talking a lot recently. So thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to let you introduce yourself and sort of let the listeners know a little bit about who you are and where you come from. Well, thank you, Karen, for inviting me to the podcast. I've actually, just for anybody who does not know, it's this is like my first time meeting uh, Karen on the podcast. I met her in person. And it really is like me, like a celebrity. So just let you guys know, you know. Uh, <laughs> so I am I'm a dual citizen of Honduras and the United States. I was born in, in Tegucigalpa uh, a long time ago. I'm 42 years of age. And I grew up in Dallas. I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Uh, you know, at the age of three, I was taken to the U.S. And, and uh, I went to school there. I pretty much learned English first rather than Spanish. Graduated from from the University of Texas uh, in Dallas, uh, worked there forever, and then uh, and gradually as an adult, I, when I was able to come to you know, there for the first time, I'm, you know that really was life changing, and, and and just wanting to know my roots and and all this other stuff about Honduras, and, and then just 
eventually 2015, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to Honduras and I'm going to do something. I'm going to go back and, and, and learn about the country where I was born and, and maybe do something good. And, and, and what this means is like, go teach, right? That's, that's, I got my undergrad in literature. I figured I can go teach uh, literacy uh, students in, in, in Honduras. And so, yeah, I've been doing that since 2017, teaching literature and grammar at a bilingual school here in, in, in Comayagua. So that, that's, that's like the small gist of it. You know, there's a whole lot more, right? But, you know, that's pretty much a small intro. I think. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll get into a lot more. So, Freddie, this is my first podcast episode I'm putting out after going on a break for six months. So no pressure. pressure no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Um, but I'm just wondering, just, I mean, I haven't really, because I've taken a break and because when I stopped putting out podcasts before, I hadn't really talked very much about this new government that isn't that new anymore. And also recently, Honduras has been hitting the international press. And I'm just wondering if you want to talk a bit about that and what your reflections are about Honduras and the media in the U.S. and Canada, maybe some of the recent things that have gone on. The, the, I have a, a love-hate relationship with the, with the international media uh, as far as what, what the news is, is given to people living in the U.S., U.S. media specific, right? Uh, that's, that's where I grew up and, and, and what we hear all the time. So I, I, I'm kind of, uh, I use the media just to help me out sometimes or like, let me see if I can found, understand something in Spanish. I go back just, just to use it like as a secondary source, but not as my primary source. I think, I think the, the news that you're referring to is like the, the, what's going on in, in the prisons, right? And that, that makes the headline. That's uh, uh, that is like first of all that that makes front cover news. Oh, the gangs, the gangs, the gangs, the gangs, the gangs, the gangs. Uh, that sells uh, that sells newspapers. Well, you know, media, right? That's, that that makes ads or whatever. What's going on? I, I'm currently in the city of Comayagua, in which there was a prison fire in 2013. There was over, I believe, 300 over 300 inmates burned. So this is not the first time something like this has happened in 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 Honduras. Uh, people who are in prison uh, are not seen as as human beings. Just overall in the in the culture, it's not just the government thing. It's just it's just the culture thing that people. If you're automatically in prison, and then you're like the worst person in the world. Are there bad people? Yes. Are there extremely dangerous people in prison? Yes. Not everybody in there is 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 a narco drug trafficker. Some people are single moms who maybe were doing something at one time and, and were caught and, and they're in prison now. Uh, maybe it's a young guy who was doing something who out of necessity was doing something illegal and was thrown in prison because they're not the the the, the court system is 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 just out of whack here. It's just they're just locked up. Uh, obviously, when, when you're in there, it's I think everybody um, um, you can go to YouTube and look up like prisons, whatever uh, Honduras, and you'll see the conditions. Right uh, now, there are supposed to be some state of the art prisons, or it's supposed to be safer in name only. I mean, they look nice from the outside, but obviously, from what we've been seeing in the news, there's you know there's 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 weapons, <laughs> there's huge, massive, you know, all types of assault rifles in there. 
and how do they get in there? How do they? I mean, there's there's there are criminal gangs, there are gangs in in, in Honduras. A lot of them are are maybe in the biggest cities, Tegucigalpa, San Pedro Sula, and some of them are inside the 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 prisons, right? It's and and and, and women have to happen to be part of the gangs too. You know, it's not just men. Uh, unfortunately, there was this incident where uh, all these women were, were were killed. Apparently, from what we hear, it's like two two gangs. How much of it is it is it just two gangs just hating each other? How much is it is it coming from? How much of that is being instigated from the outside? You know, and that's the question that we have to be asking. You know, how is it possible that so much? Wow, this is a cruel way. That's a cruel way of dying. Literally, just like you know, either a fire or or being wow, just massacred with just gun rifle. Just, just as you're standing there being watched, as your prison inmates being killed, and you're 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 about to be hit. You know, and and, and we know that Honduras is a. I hate to say it, it's still a narco state. You know, there's still there's still lots of criminal organizations, and they use the gang members. Uh, for their benefit, and you know, I, a lot of times the gang members maybe they don't want to do that. Maybe they don't want to do criminal activity, and they're forced to do something, right? Because there's no alternative. When you have nothing else to do, you happen to join maybe these gangs, or uh, and then you get sucked into that lifestyle. But yeah, that, that is definitely something that's tragic. That's something that unfortunately is leading to the military going back in to the prisons and taking control, which is, if anybody has is, is up to date with Honduras, both the military and the police are not the, are not the cleanest organizations in the world, right? They have a history, uh, not just a, 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 we're not talking about just a history from like 30 or 40 years ago, we're talking about a history of even just a couple of years ago of being used to kill innocent people, you know, death spots. Uh, and when you get the military and the police involved in, in, in these prisons, how much, who's the real criminal here? Who's watching who, you know? And that's something that, uh, that's happening and, 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 uh, something that everybody needs to be aware of that this is, uh, it may be, it may be popular right now in certain countries, El Salvador, if you want to say it, and it may be seen as the, this mano dura or whatever, this need that has to happen. But there comes a lot of questions as to who the real bad guy is, what's going to happen when this happens again. Because even when, even a couple of years ago, I think it was two or three years ago, there was a, a huge killing when the military was 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 in charge. So this hasn't prevented it. This hasn't, these events haven't been prevented when the military has been in charge. You know, at uh, least a lot of questions, uh, more than answers. So we can only hope that things can, can get better and hopefully not just from the government side, but the culture. I think the culture needs to change and, and needs to start seeing people, even those who have done like criminal activities, whatever, whether it be like whatever it is. One of the things I wanted to to talk to you about too is you're talking about culture and you know the solution to violence being sending in the military. Um, to take over the police that are obviously infiltrated by organized crime themselves and the military that's infiltrated by organized crime as well. And with these really sketchy histories of human rights abuses. 
But I mean, one of the things that a lot of people have highlighted, especially human rights organizations, is that a lot of Hondurans want to see militarization and they want to see, they applaud the militarization of the prisons and the ways that, you know, in a, if you go on social media and you read the comments, they are celebrating that, you know, they're, they're going in and be, they're being tough on prisoners, lining them up with their hands behind their heads and nose to back of the pre other prisoner, like they're lying together, but they're really disturbing images and people are celebrating it. And it's really hard to sort of like understand that as to like, yes, put them on an island, kill them all. They're all criminals. And yet at the same time, Hondurans know that the justice system is corrupt. They know that there's a lot of people that are in there that shouldn't be in there. They know there's a lot of poor people that are that are that are in there and they know the wealthy are not in these prisons. And because they never, barely ever get sent to prison, regardless of the crime the wealthy people commit. So it's this really sort of difficult uh, thing to understand for people that are, you know, kind of observing about the reaction to this militarization. So, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is because you've been living in Honduras for six years, like permanently. I mean, you've come and gone before you're, you were born here. Um, but I mean, you've learned a lot in the last six years about how to understand Honduran culture and just like, you know, you coming back from the U.S. and, and living here for a period of time, having family members, having conversations with family members. So I'm really, one of the reasons I wanted to have you is because I wanted to ask you, you know, in the time that you've been here in Honduras, what are the five things that you've really come to, un to to learn about Honduras now that you've been back and you've been teaching young people and you've been around your family and been here more. So, I mean, and I think this fits into this whole discussion of violence as well and the reactions of that people have to this militarization of the prisons. Uh, well, let me tell you, first of all, let me tell you what I knew coming into Honduras. As somebody who grew up in, 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 in Dallas, uh, uh, in a in a time where there weren't that many Hondurans, I I still remember that there when in 2007 the first Honduran restaurant I visited the first Honduran restaurant in Dallas. I was like, wow, there's a Honduran restaurant. This is years after you know. This is as an adult I I visited my first Honduran. I didn't have any Honduran friends growing up, so the little knowledge of in uh, of of Honduras that I did know were was just from what my parents told me when my uncles visited. Um, but it was, uh, it was mostly just family stuff, right? So as far as what Honduras was all about, it was very limited. I knew about, uh, Sopa de Caracol. I knew about Banda Blanca. I knew about celebrating Christmas on the 24th. I knew about, uh, like the Honduran soccer team. Those are things that any, I think anybody who's Honduran in the U.S. can, can tell you. But it's it's when you come here and you stay here and you go out of your comfort zone, out of out of your family, and actually start exploring the country, talking to people, you start realizing that Honduras is so much more than baleadas. It's so much more than than football. It's more it's more than just casabe. It's it's more. I mean, those are all things. Those are all nice things. But it's more. Honduras has a history. And unfortunately, it's not a beautiful, beautiful history. You know, I would love to romanticize it and say, hey, you know what, Honduras did this, Honduras did that. It's, it's a really dark history with, with beautiful people that are actual heroes, the individual people who, who have done really good stuff 
but I don't do this. And, it's, and, and I'm not just talking about like the colonial time period, I'm talking about like the modern time period, like like Berta Cáceres, who's probably like the most famous under and now, and unfortunately she's not with us anymore, right? One of the things I've learned about Honduras is that Hondurans, uh, besides the good things, right? First of all, let me let me let me place like, this. Honduras is a beautiful country, and there's I, I for me for the longest time Honduras was all Tegucigalpa. Tegucigalpa is just all of Honduras, and it's not true. Tegucigalpa and San Pedro Sula are just two huge cities, but that's not all of Honduras. Honduras is Trujillo. Honduras is a San Lorenzo, Honduras is Choluteca, Honduras is Comayagua, Honduras is Santa Rosa de Copan, Honduras is, is a whole lot more, right? And, and Hondurans are Lencas. Honduras are, are not Mayas. There might be a small group of, of Hondurans who are Mayas, but the majority are would be, or at least a huge number, would be Lencas, you know? Uh, my, my family history goes back to the Lenca people. And I think Hondurans don't even know who the Lencas are, you know, and there's there's indigenous groups who are the Garifunas, the Pets, the Lupanes, the, the Mesquito people. I think I'm missing somebody, uh, I forgot who, who but uh, there's so much more, right, than just what, what the, the media may tell you, uh, either be like positive media or negative media. Hondurans are not all gang members. You know, that's, if you see the news going back to the news, you may say that. There was a, there was an article where uh, I think it was last year where the, the mayor of San Francisco said like every Honduran is a drug dealer. You know it's not true. Not every Honduran is a drug dealer. There are scientists. There are doctors. There are there are there are engineers. There are extremely smart people here in Honduras, young and old, men and women, rich and poor, who who are doing you know who are highly educated. So that's that's. What I've learned. That's the good things that I've learned. And that, that being said, once you're here, you start seeing the other side as well, right? After years of being in Honduras, I'm like, wait a minute, there's there's a dark side. And it's not just politics. It's not just government. It's it's more. And 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 hopefully your audience, your Honduran audience, can bear with me. Because it, it, it may not be like the brightest news that they may want to hear. Or they may already know it. Who knows? But I think, I think this is important that we discussed it. I think you asked me about five topics. The first one was, there's a lot of mental health issues in Honduras. There's a lot. And, and, and I'm saying this because I work at a school, we're at a bilingual school where it's one of the wealthiest schools in, 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 in Comayagua. And, and despite that, those kids, even though they have like materially they have everything. I mean, some of them have U.S. visas. Some of them have traveled to different countries besides the U.S., Europe, for vacation. Not, not, not because they're forced to live there, but just because, hey, you know what? I'm going to Orlando to Disney, whatever. Uh, and they have everything that you may want. Some of them live better than people in the U.S., you know. But that being said, they're depressed. I see it. They tell me about it. And they're hurting. Because their parents may not be there. Their parents may be separated. There's a huge number of people in Honduras who are divorced. And that, that hurts kids. You know, one parent may be in Tegucigalpa, the other parent may be in Comayagua. They may not see that other parent or whatever, uh, whatever issue. Some parent may be in the U.S. working. They may be working. They, they may be living with their grandparents. And their parents are bringing, sending that money back. And they're able to go to that nice school. 
And 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 you know, and that's just and that's just this is this is from this is coming from schools who are pretty well off students who like material, like I said, have everything. Now, literally right in front of my school, there's a public school. There's a mural in the private school, and right next, adjacent to the private school, there's a public school. And I see the difference. I see how the kids are, they're running up, or they got, they're, they don't have like the best stuff. And I'm like, wow, these kids, the students I teach, they were during the pandemic. We were, I was teaching them, teaching them like via computer, and they were depressed. Now I can only ask myself, how much more are these kids who who weren't in school? How much when they don't have anything to eat, or when they're forced to go work, when they're forced to see their parents leave, or when they themselves have to make those big decisions of, hey, I gotta go. I'm 14. I'm 15. And I have to go to the U.S. You know, uh, I think one of the new, one of the big news channels just came up recently that said like depression is a really huge thing in in Honduras, uh, and it is it is a really big thing when you live under the conditions that the majority of Hondurans live in, which is either some type of poverty or extreme poverty, right? But I wanted to I wanted to um, ask you about this because I think that I mean, mental health issues are a problem like everywhere. Right. Poverty is a problem everywhere. It's a problem in the U.S. It's a problem in Canada, you know, and there's depression everywhere. And I guess what I want to I want to understand about what you're saying is it seems obvious to me that that like depression is in Canada, depression is in the U.S. So it seems obvious that there would be depression in Honduras. But I think what you're trying to say is, is that like people don't really talk about it. I mean, so, and and I say that because I wanted to tell you this, but I'm not going to say the person's name. We, when we, you and I were talking, when we were hanging out in Tegucigalpa last week, you were talking about exactly about this. And the person that we were with actually choked up as you were talking about this mm. because it's never talked about. And the person that was there, like, was like listening to you and, it, and the person was Honduran and actually started choking up just hearing you recognize and like explain depression in a way that I don't know if that person had ever heard it like that before. I was, I was kind of taken back by it, but I guess I just want to ask you about that. Like, you know, is it that it's not recognized at all here? Is it not talked about? Is that what you're saying? Well, and that, that's a good transition point to this second, I think one of the second topics or the third topic, whatever it was, it's, I think a lot of it, it's just taboo. I think, I think, yeah, it's the third point that I, that I wanted to talk about. So this is a really extremely religious country, extremely religious country. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a really extremely religious country like, like Honduras, which may be considered maybe one of the most, if not the most conservative in, in, in all of Honduras. That's debatable, but, you know, so when, when people, I have to, I'll, I'll tell you right now, uh, I have students who tell me, Mr. I try to tell my parents that I have like, like what I'm telling you right now, that I'm feeling depressed. And they tell me, hey, one, I need Jesus. Two, I need to pray more. Or three, uh, I'm just I'm just making things up. You know. So when when people are extremely religious, I was just having this conversation with with uh co-workers earlier this week. It was like, like uh when you're down, where do you go? What, what do you do if you're feeling down? And they're like, well, I just pray more. Well, what what if you're not somebody who doesn't know how to pray? What if somebody who doesn't go to church? What what are they supposed to do 
other than pray. Well, then there's nothing else you can do. What do you mean there's nothing else you can do? There's a lot of stuff that you can do. Uh, you can go to a trained professional, which is unfortunately one of the things. There are trained professionals, but they're expensive. They're extremely expensive for like a session. You might be, it may, it may be maybe like 800 lempiras to go to one session, one to go visit a psychologist. Uh, so cost may be an issue. The religious views of, of, of people who may not believe that depression is, is such an important thing. If you just work harder, everything, if you just do something, you know, everything will go away. And it, it's such a taboo. People are afraid. People are afraid to talk about it. And it's something that everybody who lives in Honduras should be having. It's not normal to live with fear. It's not normal to live in a city where you literally have to look like the exorcist doing this whole 360 with your head to see if you're about to get assaulted. It's not normal. Those are not normal conditions to live in. It's not normal to live thinking, am, am I, do I have to be a can I afford tortillas? Not just, I'm not talking about like McDonald's or Wendy's. I'm talking about like your basic food pyramid stuff, your basic, you know, that's that's extreme poverty. You know, uh, it's not normal to have rain come from your roof every time there's a hard rain. It's not normal. Uh, it's not normal to live in fear of uh, of an apagón, right? It's not normal. Are we going to have light today? <laughs> you know, it's not normal to to see military people walking down your street. You know, with with an AR just ready to shoot anybody who they may think. You know, it's not normal. And th those are the conditions that bring uh, depression. Those th those conditions of 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 it's not normal. To, it's not normal to be 35 years old and be let go of your job because you know what? You're 35 years old and you're no longer good. Uh, you cost us too much money. We're going to have to let you go from your job. That is terrible. What are people supposed to, this is the issue that Hondurans face, older Hondurans, mid, young adults, later adults, 30s, 40s, who are let go from, from their jobs. And they can't get hired anymore because they're not literally, because they're no longer 20 years old, and they can't find a job. What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do in that case when you have kids who are asking you, I need food? Or if you've had a job and you've lived a good life and you get let go, how are you supposed to pay for your parent, your kids' education if, they, if you've had them in bilingual school? This is so much, this is, this is literally a fact that Hondurans at, at a certain age are let go. Most Hondurans uh, if they're able to survive, have a small business. They have a pulperia where they sell candy and chips. They make baleadas. They, they have whatever type of little small business that they're able to come up with and survive. But that being said, that small business, they may not save up for, their, for a pension. What do you do when you're 50, 60 years old, 65 years old, and you don't have uh, a retirement? You know? Those are all things that, that, that lead to depression and that affect people every day here in Honduras. So, Farid, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, do you think there's anything positive about the fact that there's a lot of people that are religious in Honduras? Is there anything that is good about that? Because, you know, the, I could see people saying that that's one of the ways that people get through 
difficult times. And it's interesting because as we, we so were talking about prisons and then now we're sort of talking about uh, religion and um, and sort of that being something that is so frequently drawn on. Um, and I'm just thinking about when I would go into the maximum security prisons to visit my partner and Edwin, who was a political prisoner, and there would be, um, and I, I don't want to like focus back on prisons, but I mean, there would be pr- people that would really rely on, you know, prayer to basically survive the moments in prison. And I assume that's the same here that people seek support from religion and from the community that a church gives you. So I just want to ask you if you have, if you see positive things in that at all. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's, so there's two good things. People have to have faith. You have to have faith in something, right? You can't just live like without faith. Every, every person has faith in something, whether it be in the religion, whether it be in, in this, this chair that I'm sitting on, I'm, I have faith that this chair is going to hold me. It's not going to be broken, right? So I have faith. Everybody exhibits faith in, in their own way. Uh, if you have faith, if you're able just to meditate on something, whether it be prayer, that obviously helps out. You know, and, and one of the coolest things uh, that I see is when I see old people who have nothing else, nothing else, and I am inspired by them, by their by their faith in whomever they believe in, and they're like, you know, this person, this 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 figure right here is going to help me through, and they and there's this peace. That literally comes on them, and they really have faith. Uh, so yeah, that individual faith definitely helps out in whatever people, whatever religious group they belong to, or whatever belief that they have. But two, also, uh, churches may be the only place where people, uh, where, where an organization provides community, a safe, somewhat safe community. Right? We we were just talking about that. Right before we got on the park, we, we're, we're not robots, right? We're, 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 not, we're not machines. We're meant to be interacting with people. And church provides that, whether it be evangelical, whether it be Catholic, whether it be whatever religion. You go and you meet up people like-minded, and you're able to organize certain activities on certain days, and you meet up with them, you grow up with them. That helps you, That those bonds, those relationships. Uh, do help people, right? They help them. Hey, you know what? La hermana is La hermana is sick today. Let's go get her some soup. La hermana lost someone, and I'll and I'll tell you this: just from when my stepfather passed away, he was the only son uh, of my abuela, my uh, his mom, and, and she tells me all the time: it's she there. She hadn't. She had no one else. It was just her, and it was her faith community who helped her out. Uh, when when you know there's no government who's going to go out there, you know, government agency who's maybe going to go help her out in that time of need. It's not a business, a private business sector or a wealthy bank who's going to help her out in any way. It's the church community, right? Uh, so, yeah, the, the, obviously those the, those two things, I, I think the individual fair, faith that that person may have and in and, and, um and the community that that religion may, may, may provide for that person. One of the things is that, uh, that you and I've talked about is looking at how, you know, right now in Honduras, there's a very fierce debate going on about uh, sexual education and making it law to teach kids. I don't know what grade, I think high school, they want to provide a, a like sexual education to students. And there's quite 
an uprising and quite a conflict being created, mostly led by the more right-wing traditional conservative sectors of the society saying, no, 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 we can't have that. And people are having discussions about how it's going to make people gay. And, you know, talking about like sex is going to mean that or more young girls are going to get pregnant at a young age. And so I think that your discussion about the individual like support that people seek, especially in a violent society, right, where you don't feel like you can necessarily relate very much with people in your neighborhood because of how dangerous it is, especially in an urban setting. But you can find that sort of sense of community in a, in a, in a, in a, in a more of a religious like environment, I think is really good. But anyways, you had some really interesting comments about sort of how that conservative nature sort of feeds into some of these debates that are going on about like sexual education and mostly sexual education. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you one. I don't want, I'm not going to mention this book that they're working, but uh, I'll, I'll give you an example is there, I really believe there's going to be a culture class uh, here in Honduras. I really, there's a, you know, whereas the U.S. is still facing it, but it, it, it started facing it like 20 years ago. I don't know how long ago Canada started facing it, but this is going to face it. I have parents, I have students, Karen, who have come to me and said, Mr. I like somebody, a male student, seventh grade. I like a boy. That is, that is the reality of Hondurans. Whether Hondurans want to accept it or deny it, it exists and it is coming. It is definitely, so whether, whether it's this generation or the next generation or the following, it is coming where people are, their views on the world are changing, are not the same ones from yesterday. So there's there's going to be, instead of it, it, not just this political class, but it's going to be like this, this culture class, this, this worldview of ideas. Yeah, and as you know, Karen, Honduras is, is a very machista country. It is like extremely machista. Oh my goodness. It is like, it's not just the, uh, you know, homosexual thing, fear of homosexuals. It is. It is this. It is this. Seeing women as one objects. It is seeing women as 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 secondhand citizens. Uh, you see this uh, whether it be in, in small towns. You see it in the in in the in the cities where where women don't maybe don't feel safe walking because they may be catcalled. They may be harassed. You know. Uh, there's this there's this class where women are supposed to be virgins until 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 they get married, but yet boys are told, "Hey, go sleep with women, with every woman that you encounter with." You know, so it, it is it is this culture class that's coming. It's it's where men are supposed to be able to do everything, which leads to if you're if you're not able to see women as people, then then you can do harm to them. Unfortunately, you know. It sounds to me like what you're saying is, is that when you're talking about a culture clash or some sort of like reckoning, it sounds to me like what you're saying is, is that young Hondurans see things differently. Young people are leading something really special here and important and that you're seeing that. And so I think that 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 gives me a lot of hope. And I see that when I work with student movements, for example, like the student movements in the university were always the strongest and most daring when it came to like resisting the dictatorship and organizing. And they were the most like sol solidaria, as they say, with movements around the country. So I, I think that, you know, you can draw a lot of inspiration from that. And I'm sure you see that because you work with students and you work with young people. So you have like a front row seat to that. Oh, yeah. I'm really excited about when, when I hear young people, I'm like, 
how is it that you know about mental health issues? How is it that, you know, I didn't know about this when I was in the seventh grade. Uh, how, is it, how is it that you're able to say, hey, you know, that person is supposed to be treated with respect uh, regardless of who they like? How is it that you know this and you're in seventh grade? Uh, you know, so, I mean, they're aware. And I, I, I'm really excited uh, when, when I hear the students just talk. And and uh, and they have different views of what's going on and and what they want to see, you know. And 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 where where girls are like, hey, you know what? I want to be a leader. I want to do something. Girls are stepping up, and and I see that. And so that to me is something that's that's extremely good. Uh, obviously, there are there are there are adults who have been wanting for change for a long time you know and that and, and for and thank you for them who are who are open despite being of a certain age and, and they have that that mindset of seeing Honduras uh progress in in um so yeah I'm definitely inspired uh not everybody's but she's not everybody is is sexist not everybody is 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 classes you know there, there are good people there's there's a lot. There's a lot of good people, especially when it comes to the young people, and so they're aware, and and hopefully they can bring some changes. It's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be easy. I'll tell you that right now, because those those culture classes are never easy. We're seeing that right now, even in the U.S., even what in Texas. You know, people are going and tearing down Target signs. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> so Farid, um, we probably have to wrap up soon. Um, just because of the time limitation. But uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you just to sort of like close up our discussion, which has gone really fast. What do you, what would you say to Hondurans that are living either in Europe or, you know, that either had to leave Honduras or, you know, left when they were young or maybe their first gen in, you know, Canada, US or Europe, you know, what is that? What is, what is something that you would want to say to them now that you've come back and you've lived here for a while and you've gotten involved in politics, because we haven't mentioned this yet, but I got in politics in the sense that you've become really sort of immersed in trying to understand the political and social and economic situation in Honduras. And we haven't mentioned that your Twitter is all things Honduras, which is like everyone more knows you as all things Honduras, not as Farid. What, what sort of advice do you have or what would you want to say to them? If they're even thinking about, if they're thinking about coming back here, they're trying to understand Honduras from outside of the, of Honduras. Uh, yeah, I would say, well, I can just tell you from, from what I, if I could go back and, and talk to me, the younger me, I would be, and I would be like, be proud of being Honduran. Don't be ashamed of being Honduran. There's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of good people. There's a lot of, a lot of good things have come out of, come out of Honduras, right? Learn your history, learn the history, read, 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 read. Can I emphasize that enough? Read. There are books, especially if you're in the U.S., there, you are surrounded by wealth of information, not just on Google and the internet, but actual public libraries. Go and read. You can order books from pretty much anywhere online and you can find your history about Honduras, about Central America. Find out what, what who you really are. You know, uh, it, we're more than just baleadas. We're more than just de September, and we're more than just football. We're, we're, we are way more than that. Don't stop speaking in Vos. Use Vos. We are we speak with Vos in Honduras, you know, Vos instead. Use that. That's how we are identified. People want people to know about Honduras. 
because we're we're more than just the violence. I mean, if you travel and do that, you're gonna fall in love with people. Like I said, there's different cultures. I mean, you, you get to see people work. Hundreds are hardworking people. I mean, they if you go to Tegucigalpa, you're gonna see people get up at four, five o'clock in the morning. My students are up. They they tell me, hey, Mister, I'm getting up at four o'clock in the morning to get ready because school starts at seven o'clock. You know, Hondurans are some of the most hardest working people that I know. You know, they are go-getters. There are people, you know, we were talking about this, how Tegucigalpa is a college town. You ain't People never mention that. People always think Tegucigalpa is a dangerous city. Yeah, but it's also a college town where people are, there's like, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of college students are going there and they're getting up and they, that's, they believe, hey, you know what, they have faith. That if they get an education, something good is going to happen. They don't, they're not sure what, but they have faith. You know, Hondurans learn, are learning second languages, third languages. They, they, Hondurans want to learn. They just want to be given a chance. They just want to be given the opportunity like everybody else. You know, I have students who are learning three languages. You know, they're improving their Spanish, learning English, and they're learning French. You know, and I have, it's not just like regular students. I'm talking about like adults. Adults who are like either going to college, adults who are graduated, post-grad, whatever, they're always learning, you know. Hondurans are, are interested, they, they, they want they want people to visit Honduras. They want that for the right reasons. <laughs> Don't exploit Honduras. Come and visit Honduras, eat a sopa, eat a sopa in the Mercado de los Dolores in Tegucigalpa. Go enjoy it. You know, it's 100 empiras. You're going to have a good time. People are like, hey, did you enjoy the soup? It's like, wow, this is like, where else can you get this great meal? Uh, and, and and feel like you're like, hey, we want you to come back. You know, uh, that's Tegucigalpa, which I'm talking about Tegucigalpa because obviously that's the city that I love the most, even though a lot of people may fear it. I love it. There's, there's museums there. There's music. There's a big show. If you have not been in Honduras in a long time, if you're Honduran, Go to El Picacho. It is so amazing what they've done there. You're going to love it. Uh, and if you don't know what El Picacho is, it's like this Christ figure park on top of Tegucigalpa. You need to go there. Yeah, come and enjoy Honduras. Come and enjoy Honduras. It's not, not you. I promise you, I promise you that no one is going to be wanting to kill you uh, the moment you get off that plane. There's literally people who say, look, the moment I get to Honduras, they're going to kill me. No one is going to, no one come to Honduras. And I think you want to ask me something. Karen? Yeah, but do you think that Hondurans living, living outside of Honduras feel like that? That they're scared, no, no, to, come, they're scared no, they, to come back? They, they, yeah, they, they, they are scared to come back. They're really scared. Either, it, it doesn't even have to be, even have, it doesn't even have to be, I'll tell you what. Uh, it doesn't even have to be afraid like, hey, if they have not, I met somebody in, in, in Dallas and she was from El Progreso. She's like, I'm not going back to Honduras. And she was like me. She was taking. She was taken as a as a kid to the states, and she hasn't been back. And all she knows is what she sees on the news and what her family tells her, you know. And then like, uh, uh, I had my my older brother show up twice already just this past year, and he's like, "Oh my goodness, why haven't I arrived here before?" You know, obviously, look, there's a lot of human rights issues. There's a lot of things that are going on. But there's there's also not that's not happening twenty four seven you know that's like that, that's 
you're gonna be amazed just the beauty of the country the people when you start talking to them uh i remember when i first got here uh, people were telling me like look you can't go here you can't go there you can't go here this is Tegosiapa. i'm like well, where can i go then you know <laughs> where can i go and uh uh but obviously come you know be careful so Fari, if you had to tell Hondurans living outside of Honduras two songs that they should listen to to understand Honduras or kind of get a feel for Honduran culture and maybe music and read, let's say two, I'm totally putting you on the spot. So read two or three books about Honduras, let's say in English, because I think it's probably more accessible to get English books in outside of Honduras. I assume I might be assuming wrong. What yeah. would you recommend? So like one or two songs and two or three books, what would you recommend that they read and listen uh, to? I mean, just the most recent one would be like the Professor Daniel Frank's The Long Hunter Night, which is pretty accessible to everybody in the U.S. I highly recommend that one because that one, why that one? Because that pretty much tells you like up-to-date stuff that's going on like right now. We're not talking about like colonial Spanish history. We're not talking about like 200 years ago. We're talking about like right now, last what, last 15 years. And that catches you up to like a lot of things. Because the book was published, what, in 2018, I think. So yeah, that one, if you want to know more about like, I really like the one, I don't know where, I, I must have gotten it from your podcast. Ottawa, Ottawa and, and Honduras and the Coop. Oh, I think it's like Ottawa and Empire, I think. Yeah, Ottawa and Empire, I think, I believe I think so. By Tyler yes. Shipley. Yes, yes. Tyler Shipley's book about Honduras. That lets you know more that it's more than just the U.S. It's like a whole phenomenal. I mean, it's just a whole group of people of messing, messing with Honduras foreign policy. Uh, there's another one from a journalist from, from England. His name is uh, Kenneth, I believe, Kenneth, uh, The Racket, I believe. And it talks about Haiti. It talks about Honduras. It talks about... Uh, other countries that are very similar to what, what Honduras has gone through. And you're like, wow, this is not just a Honduran thing. This is like happening like in other countries. And you're like, wow. And if you, and at the end of the day, if you come to understand Honduras, you're able to understand to a lot of what's happening in the world. As far as songs, we just met a singer, Karen. The Huelga. Uh, the Huelga, yes, by um, Don Mario Mesapa. de Mesapa. De Mesapa. If you listen to that song, oh my goodness, he sings it. It's about the times where the banana companies were uh, were in control of the country, and and he does such a uh, um, a great job of just singing putting, that song, putting history into a song. Really, yes, I yes, exactly. Is that, that is, that's exactly right. I do want to say in Spanish, read Ramon Amaya Amador. Read that. Read Cipotes. Read Prisión Verde. Read those books. You gotta you gotta read read hundred authors. You gotta read hundred authors that talk about hundred history. If you're if you're a Spanish speaker, if you know how to read Spanish, so yeah, read that. Read those books. Those are and there's movies. There's there's a movie coming out in Cipotes. Uh, there's a play coming out in Tegucigalpa about Cipotes uh, in Tegucigalpa in San Pedro Sula. So I mean, definitely go read the book. If you happen to be in Tegucigalpa around August September, go watch the play. You're gonna be laughing because it's you use they use the Honduran vernacular the onda? so I mean you you hear that and you're like what this is this book was written like what in the fifties and sixties 
And 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 if you're familiar with Tegucigalpa, it's with real spots. The, the names are obviously fiction. The characters are fiction. But it's it's so funny because you're like, this is the language that we Hondurans speak. And if you don't use the Honduran Spanish, the Honduran uh, Caliche, then yeah, that's a good way to learn uh, how Hondurans speak. Okay, so I'm going to link to all of the songs and and the books that you mentioned so that people that are listening can find them easily by going to the show notes. And so I just want to thank you so much for coming and having this chat with me. It's been super quick. <laughs> I feel like we just started talking, but thank you so much for sharing your perspectives. And I think it's so helpful for people to hear your you know, sort of view of things and your perspective. Where can people find you? How can people get in touch with you if they're ever here? in Honduras or in Texas, or they just want to be like, hey, I'm moving to Honduras. What advice would you give me as a Honduran? How can they find you? Yeah, just come and find me in, uh, I guess the best way is just all things Honduras in, uh, on Twitter. Uh, I mean, that's the, best way, that's the best way. Just hit me up. My DMs are open. Uh, you know, and, or if you're in Honduras or if you know a place you want to like uh, go me to go check out as far as like eating, whatever. I'm down with finding like the cool spots. Karen took me, you know, to a cool spot. They was I'm like, how is this possible? And this Canadian took me to this cool spot, you know. So if you know a spot, then hit me up. Uh, I'll be more than happy to go check it out, you know, when I have a chance. You know, especially if it's a mom and pop uh, kind of store. Yeah, I like that. Cool. Thank you so much, Farid, for joining me and for sharing with us. And it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. <laughs> Likewise, Karen. Thank you. Appreciate that. Nos vemos. That was Farid Sierra, or All Things Honduras, as he's called himself on Twitter. Thanks for listening to this podcast. It's great to be back. Show notes can be found at HondurasNow.org, along with some new content that I've been posting. An amazing volunteer is translating some of the podcast episodes into Spanish. Thank you to everyone that helps make this podcast happen. Translations, transcripts, and editing. I am also posting monthly summaries of the Honduran news for anyone that finds it difficult to follow the day-to-day. -day. Also, check out the U.S. Intervention Monitor that I wrote and which outlines the role of the U.S. in the first year of President Castro's administration. Both the news summaries and the report can be found on the Honduras Now website. Thanks to our donors and to all of you for listening. Hasta pronto.